The following sermon is from Christ Church Port Orange. For more information, find us online at joinwithjesus.org. Thanks for listening. So open to Psalm 23, if you will. Psalm 23, to have it on the overhead for those of you who don't have your Bible with you, but I encourage you to have your Bible and open it up. Psalm 23, a Psalm of David. Verse one, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. God, we thank you for your word that has been read in our hearing. God, we thank you that you have inspired it through your Holy Spirit and through the scripture writers, in this case, David, that it has been preserved for us and is a treasure for the people of Israel and for the church of Jesus for all of these many centuries. God, we pray that your Holy Spirit would make it alive in our hearts and minds as we consider it this morning and over the next few weeks. God, we hope that we would come not only to treasure these words, but to treasure the God who spoke them. God, I pray for every single person in my hearing, first and foremost, myself. God, that we would come to know you as our shepherd, that we would experience the multiple blessings that flow to the one who is led, fed, protected, preserved, cherished by the good shepherd. So we invite you. God, I pray on behalf of those who do not know you, God, I pray that your word would come alive to them, that it would reach their ears and find a home in their hearts and that you would give the gift of eternal life Lord, as those who come to hear your voice, put their trust in you and begin to follow after you. God, thank you that your sheep hear your voice. Another they will not follow, but they will follow you. So we invite you to speak to us now. In Jesus' mighty name. And all God's people said, amen, amen. Uh, I've been enjoying spending some time in Psalm 23. It is a familiar passage of scripture, but uh, it is so rich and profound and comforting. You'll find that through different periods of your life, you require different levels of comfort. Anybody know what I'm talking about? It's amazing the things that you find comfort in the day after Christmas when you didn't get the toy you wanted at eight years old and you need a word of comfort from the Lord can be slightly different than the comfort you need after your first breakup. Um, I married my first girlfriend, so I've never had to experience that. Lord willing, I never will. If I can get a little help from the, from the Holy Spirit. But we go through these difficult periods of life and we find just recurring levels and layers of the comfort that God provides. Maybe it's gotten serious for you. Maybe it's come through a diagnosis and you've needed comfort and the presence of God for a very uncertain future. Maybe it's come through the loss of a loved one, a loss of a change of circumstance, a move, a, a job loss. Uh, I know so many people right now are on the cusp of facing the loss of jobs over vaccine mandates. And there's so much angst and anxiety. And no matter what you are facing in your life, from the smallest concern, from the youngest age, to the most difficult parts of the experience of life and the loss of life, uh, God wants to comfort you. Do you know that? And he watches over you even when you aren't aware of it. And there's something about this passage that is alive to our souls that reminds us that God is present, that God cares, that God is committed to your well-being. 
And from the lessons that David, the shepherd king, learned and the psalm that he wrote, uh, Christians throughout the ages have learned to experience the nearness and comfort of God. Sometimes we need the nearness and comfort of God because we're lost. How many of you guys have ever gotten lost? Come on, be honest. You're like, I know exactly where we're going. This wasn't the route I planned to take. So Tiffany and I, uh, we have this arrangement in, uh, in our driving. She drives and I navigate. So uh, it, some people, some kind of traditionalist type of people think the man should always drive. You don't have to say who you are. We know you are. And uh, so I get that sometimes where uh, we'll pull up and Tiffany's driving there looking at us kind of cross-eyed like, she drives? And I'm always thinking to myself, sometimes I say something funny like, well, since the DUI, you know, I uh, so, uh, just, to, just to throw them off. And, uh, but uh, they'll say, Tiff, Tiffany does the driving. And I'm, I always say that, you know, there's no sense in both of us driving, you know? So no matter what seat she's in, she'll be driving. So I just let her have the brake pedal. But I navigate and it's kind of a good thing too. Um, not everybody has the same sense of direction. And so sometimes you need a driver and you, you need a navigator. Uh, otherwise you end up lost. And there's nothing more frustrating than being lost and not knowing where you are. This happened to us when we were in seminary in uh, Washington, D.C. in the area. We went into to Georgetown to sightsee a little bit. And you can very quickly get lost because you, you end into this, this uh, maze of one-way streets inside of D.C. You make one wrong turn and then there's seven more to follow it. And then you have no idea where you are. Anybody ever been in a city like that? You're like, why? Did you make this city purposefully hard to navigate? Yes, they did. Actually, they made it purposefully hard to navigate as a defense mechanism. And it's still hard for everyone. You're just running circles in DuPont Circle. You're like, I don't know when to get out. I... And, and so if you've ever been lost... Now, there's a different kind of loss, though, uh, when you, you, you're an adult and you can pull over and, and ask for directions, although I would suggest not opening a map in uh, Southeast D.C. But uh, if, you, if you get lost as a child, though, it's a much different experience. I remember going to Disney World when I was like seven or eight with a little homeschool group. It was all these families and everybody had, you know, seven to 11 children. And so we migrated into to Epcot Center. And, you know, by, you leave at six o'clock in the morning and you get there in just enough time to have lunch in the middle of Epcot Center. And so um, we all kind of got to our little lunch area where we met up before we had done anything fun. And uh, all the kids my age wanted to go do rides together and all their parents were agreeable. And then I asked my mom if I could go with them. And she said, oh, I really need help because she had two small babies and stroller push and bags and the whole thing. And so she said no. And then she saw how dejected I was that I had to help care for my siblings. And so after a few minutes, she said, you know what? You can go with your friends. Well, they'd already left. So I went to find them, couldn't find them, went back to find mom, couldn't find mom. And I found myself lost at Disney. Listen, nothing is less fun than being lost at Disney when you're eight years old. This is like your one chance. You have this like burning angst to experience everything that Disney has to offer and the time is ticking away. It's already been six hours of travel to get there. And so I remember looking for a little while and then I was like, I don't want to miss this. And so I started riding roller coasters alone. <laughs> and that is like, it's amazing how terrible that is. You'd think roller coasters are fun, but roller coasters alone, not so much fun. I mean, the first one you're like, yeah, you know. I'm sad that I'm happy. You know, it's weird. And uh, so I was like, all right, I'm just going to look for them and then I can have fun. And after like an hour of looking for everybody and realizing that no one was looking for me, I just had this like, this, like terror struck feeling. And it's a feeling that I've actually had in adulthood too. I don't know if you've experienced uh, when everyone's looking to you and you're the one who's in charge of making big decisions. I was uh, appointed to be the lead pastor of the church I grew up in when I was 20 six years old. Do you know what you know at 26 years old? Nothing. I mean, almost nothing. And the downside is you think you know a lot. So, but I remember feeling just terrified at the idea of like, there's this whole group of people who I've known since I was a child. I mean, they knew me when I was a child. I was back there when they were in here. And now they're looking to me to lead them spiritually. And just about every Sunday morning would roll around and I would feel that little rush of terror before I pretended to know what I was doing. Maybe you felt like that when you took your first child home from the hospital or when you adopted them and you realize for the rest of this human's life, they're looking to me for support and guidance and protection and provision. You know, we get these moments of, of lostness and those things can actually serve us because the truth of the matter is that you need a shepherd. You need a leader. You need someone bigger than you, smarter than you, that's been around longer than you, that knows everything, that can handle whatever comes your way. 
to be the one to have eyes on you and to lead you from one place to the next. David came to know the Lord, Yahweh, the covenant-making God, the God of Israel, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He came to know the Lord that way. And this psalm, this song, reflects his experience and the profound comfort that can come to every person experiencing any degree of lostness. And it's my desire that this holiday season that all of us together and your friends and your neighbors and a terrified leaderless world come to encounter the comfort to be found in having the Lord God as your shepherd. Now I do have a confession as we get started. Um, I don't have any sheep. Zero, zero sheep. I have no sheep. I have never slept outdoors with sheep before. I've never been a shepherd. I have never shepherded goats, uh, just mostly people, small children, various ages of people. Uh, And so I know relatively nothing about the actual practice of sheep herding. I just want to say that from the outset. There is this kind of pressure to become an expert in all things shepherding. Not going to happen. I do read a lot of books about other people, some interesting things that I've learned, but I have no actual experiencing in shepherding. However, if you read the scriptures, you'll become very familiar with the motif of shepherding because it permeates the scriptures from beginning to end. Do you know that? And part of the reason is that it's an exceedingly common part of life in the ancient Near East, even today. Now, some of you may have some experience with shepherding or ranching if you're a part of this agricultural society. Most of us, though, do not. But if you're going to be a student of the scriptures, if you're going to have a meaningful relationship with God, this is a motif that you're going to want to pick up some information on. And so I'm going to, I'm going to help to lay some of those things out for you, some interesting little nuggets about life as a shepherd. But as you read the scriptures, you'll continue to run into this over and over and over. In fact, right from the very beginning, you know, you get the creation narrative in Genesis chapter one and then Genesis chapter two, the telling of God making mankind as male and female, really awesome. We get the the marriage verse in chapter two and verse 24 and chapter three, you get the whole fall of mankind, the temptation of the serpent and the curse and the proto-euangelion, the seed of the good news in verse 15. But then you get to life after life in the garden in Genesis chapter four. And what's one of the first things we read? Genesis chapter four, verse one and two. Now, Adam knew his wife, Eve, and she conceived and bore a son, Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again, she bore his brother, Abel. Now, Abel was a keeper of sheep and Cain, a worker of the ground. And so you have shepherds and farmers right there at the outset of the recorded version of humanity that we have before us in the scriptures. And in fact, if you read just the book of Genesis, you'll find all about shepherding. Abraham was a shepherd. He became exceedingly rich. He and his nephew Lot divided because of how great their herds were and they had to go to different areas. And so Jacob, when he, uh, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, his grand heir, Abraham's grandson, when, when she went to work for Laban, his uncle, and was trying to earn his wife, which turned into wives. That's a whole other story. We won't get into that this morning. Uh, he became a shepherd and became very wealthy as a shepherd. And so shepherding is a common part of life in the ancient Near East, but it's also a significant part of the storyline of the Bible and one that we would do well to familiarize ourself with. Now, I don't need to say this because if you've been in church any length of time, you've been told over and over and over again how dumb sheep are. Raise your hand if you've ever heard how dumb sheep are. And then some well-meaning pastor like me who has your attention and you're also not allowed to speak will tell you that you are also dumb because you are a sheep. And so you are a dumb sheep and you need a shepherd. This is where, this is where oftentimes the analogy breaks down. Um, because you are not a sheep, you are a very smart and capable human. Can I get Amen. I mean, can I get an amen? Can somebody, somebody help me out here? Uh, you, you, are not, uh, you are not as dumb as some people would like you to think. And sometimes we can use that as an excuse. We make really terrible choices and they were like, I just wandered off. <laughs> you know, like, no, 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 that's not gonna work in your marriage, in your conversations at night. That's not how this works. You are a responsible adult. Somebody say amen. Amen. Yeah. Um, but you are a dependent creature, aren't you? And you do not have what it takes to navigate the the difficulties of life in this broken world by yourself. You are not that smart. You are not that powerful. You are not that 
creative. You, you need someone who cares for you, who sees more than you, who is more capable than you, who has a plan and has the capacity to get you from where you are to where God wants you to go. Do you realize that? And so this is the space in which this analogy begins to serve us. It's not that we are dumb per se. <laughs> it is that we need a leader. We need a protector. We need a provider and a comforter and a healer. And so you are, you are precious to God. And I think sometimes we don't even recognize just the, the value component of shepherding. I mean, think about this for a second. In the ancient Near East, sheep themselves were the source of all dairy. So if you have milk or cheese, you're getting that from goats and sheep. This is not only that, but the source of all meat by way of protein. Anybody having some lamb chops this Christmas season? I know we're not a big lamb eating country, but like in the ancient Near East, this is where all of the meat comes from. And not only that, uh, this is where all the fat and oil for cooking other things comes from as well. How many of you guys grew up with a coffee can in your freezer filled with what? Bacon grease, you pagan heathen people with your pork grease in the freezer, not sanctified lamb fat. No, no, all that bacon grease. And you just scoop that stuff out and throw it in a cast iron skillet and start cooking peppers and onions just like that, wouldn't you? Some of you are like, I eat hungry, man. I don't know what you're saying. Um, sheep were the source of all clothing through wool and the skins of the sheep and the goats became everything that was leather made, tents, slings, pouches, water containers. I mean, the sheep were the, the richest resource that often the land had to offer. Even in the middle of a famine or a drought, sheep would take you long into that period of time where the ground would give up on you, where the grain would, would die down, where the fruit of the ground was inconsumable. And of course, there's always the fertilizer component, which isn't fun to talk about, but uh, sheep did a lot of work to help the grass be greener. I don't know if you realize that or not, but uh, there's a multi-layered industry happening here. And so shepherds are not only a central component of the economic system and, and the way of life, but sheep were this super valuable um, commodity and central to the life of the ancient Near East. And that needs to inform our thinking. Now, they, they were somewhat helpless. They have no defense mechanism. They require um, being sheared, otherwise their wool will grow so heavy it will just weigh them down, completely blind them, overtake their eyes. Some of you are thinking, my husband has that problem as well. He needs a, he needs a barber to go after those eyebrows. Um, and so, um, that was distracting, I shouldn't have said that. But sheep really need to be kept. They need to be cared for, they need to be cleansed, and, and they will be very productive and make you very wealthy um, but they require great care. And so there is this shepherd class, this industry uh, of shepherds. And so obviously this analogy hit home deeply for those in the ancient Near East. And you see that all throughout the Bible, not just in Psalm 23, but even in Genesis chapter 48, if you read that whole story of the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, you know that Jacob has his name changed to Israel. He has these 12 sons who become the 12 tribes of the nation of Israel, and each of them is blessed. But there's this tumultuous period where the brothers turn on Joseph, who continues to have these dreams that he's gonna be the king and the ruler over them, and they throw him in a pit, and they're gonna kill him, and they decide to sell him, and they sell him as a slave, and he ends up as a slave, and he ends up as, uh, in prison, something he didn't do wrong. Ultimately, because of his ability from God to interpret dreams, he ends up overseeing the, the, uh, the famine um, regulation period of time where all this, all this weed and all this grain, all these things are stored up so that there can be uh, the provision of God, not only to save uh, Egypt where he is, but also the people of God, the whole tribe, all 70 of this one family who come to experience this salvific work of God in Egypt. And so Joseph is that son. Well, Joseph has two sons in his captivity, Manasseh and Ephraim. And at the end of Genesis chapter 48, Jacob or Israel is pro pronouncing blessings on each of his sons. But one of the reasons you don't have Joseph as a tribe of Israel is because his blessing went to his boys, the half tribe of Manasseh 
and the, the half tribe of Ephraim. And so those two words become synonymous with the, the people of God. And listen to what Jacob says as he crosses his hands with his right hand on the younger of the two boys in Genesis 48. He blessed Joseph by blessing his sons and said, the God before me whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who has been my shepherd all my life long to this day, the angel who has redeemed me from all evil, bless the boys and in them let my name be carried on and the name of my fathers, Abraham and Isaac, and let them grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth. And so Joseph chose Ephraim to be the one to receive the blessing and to carry on the name of the covenant-making God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and now Ephraim. And if you read some of the, the Old Testament, you'll find that the whole nation of Israel is referred to at different times as Ephraim, and this is the reason why. And yet it was because of Ephraim's jealousy and treachery that he turned on his brothers, disobeyed God, that the blessing was removed from Ephraim, and we see that God decides to bring his blessing through a different tribe, the tribe of Judah which is why Matthew's gospel, when you read the, the nativity stories, begins with the genealogy from Adam to, or from Abraham to Jesus through the line of Judah. And so you read Psalm 78, God rejected the tent of Joseph. He did not choose the tribe of Ephraim, but he chose the tribe of Judah, Mount Zion, which he loves. He built his sanctuary like the high heavens, like the earth, which he has founded forever. He chose David, his servant, and took him, where? From the sheepfolds, from following the nursing ewes. He brought him to shepherd Jacob, his people, Israel, his inheritance. With upright heart, he shepherded them and guided them with his skillful hand. God found in David a righteous king who would look to God as shepherd and act for the interest of God's people, and he looked to him as a good shepherd. Do you realize that? When God looked at Ephraim, he saw a self-serving, treacherous, disobedient son. But in the line of Judah, in the person of David, he saw a man who would shepherd God's people the way that God wanted his people to be shepherded. And so this motif continues. I won't take the time to read it, but you can, for your reference, look to 2 Samuel chapter 7, where God makes this promise that not only would he establish David as the king over his people, but that a son of David would sit on his throne forever. It's a really great story. David decides that he needs to build God a house. He's living in a, a mansion and God's living in a tent. And he comes to the realization that this isn't right. He's like, this should not be happening. So I'm gonna build God a house. He tells Nathan the prophet, I'm gonna build God a house. And Nathan the prophet, like many of us men, before having a chance to think about it, he says, that's a good idea. You should do that. And then he goes to sleep. God wakes up Nathan and says, no, he shouldn't. Don't tell him to do that. I don't want him to build me a house. He can start putting together the material pile, but his son's gonna build me a house, but I'm gonna build him a house, a lineage, a family, and a son of his is gonna sit on the throne forever. Do you see where this is going? Do you see where this shepherd motif is going? You see, all of us need a leader. All of us need a shepherd. And listen, as good of a shepherd as David was, he wasn't a perfect shepherd. And as good as a shepherd as Solomon was, the wisdom of a good and righteous king, he wasn't a good enough shepherd either. And so you read the Old Testament and you find that even after Solomon, everything fell apart and God's people were torn apart, scattered, led by various people, treacherous leaders all alike. And so we get to Matthew chapter nine, Jesus, the Emmanuel, God with us. And what does he see? as he looks to the cities and villages in and around Jerusalem. And Jesus went through the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, the good news of God's kingdom, and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep, without a shepherd. Then he said to the disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers 
into his harvest. This is so beautiful, this picture of Jesus. He's overwhelmed with compassion for people. Now, a lot, a lot of times we, we lack that compassion. You're going to see that in the frenzy of Christmas shopping. You're going to go out and you're going to be around other people and they're going to be under the pressure of the last minute and not enough money and too many things to do. And they're going to be rude. They're going to be ugly, inconsiderate, punching in front of you in the line and saying nasty things. You see, Jesus didn't see anybody that was any different than the people that we see right now. But when he looked at a world full of ugly people where we might say, what is their problem? Jesus said, I know what their problem is. They're harassed and helpless. They were made to be led and they need a shepherd and they don't have one. You know, so many of the people that we interact with who are always in a bad mood, uh, it's hard to be your own Jesus. Do you, do you know that? I don't know if you've been a follower of Jesus for a long time or not. If you have been, if you've been, been living under the goodness of being shepherded by the, you know, the king of the universe, uh, it's actually a pretty sweet deal. And we can acclimate to it and forget that there is a whole world full of people out there who are trying to be their own shepherd. And it's terrifying. It is. Some of you got dragged into church today against your will. And you know what it's like. It's terrifying. It's the things that wake you up in the middle of the night that eat at your very soul. It's the things you worry about. It's the reason you obsessively check your bank app or your stock portfolio or your email inbox or your credit card statement. Ah! Because all of us have this place where we live where the buck stops with us and there's nobody else to go to for help. And it's at that point when we start to experience the stress and the anxiety of being out there all alone and having nobody have our back. Sometimes it informs the resentment that we treat the people who are under us. They make some little offhanded complaint or accusation against you. Maybe, uh, maybe it's not, maybe it's uh, when someone says, uh, are we out of milk again? And your response isn't, oh, I'll go get some. I didn't realize. Your response is, do I have to do all the shopping in this house? If you didn't leave it out when you make your cereal, it wouldn't have gone bad so fast, right? Where is this coming from? Jesus says, harassed and helpless, right? You think about it? I mean, how many, how many conflicts come when the uh, credit card statement arrives in the mail? You ever find yourself rushing to the mailbox to get it first? <laughs> the credit card statement come? Yep, nope, not yet. It's coming. We'll fight tomorrow, not today, right? Why is that? Because we, we, we bump into this place where there's nobody else to blame and there's, you're the one. And it's at that point in your life, and I don't know what it is for you. I mean, I could go around the room. We could, we could tell stories. Um, but I don't know what it's like where that happens for you, but there's that point when you realize I am the only one caring about this. I am the only one doing something about this. But the reality is actually quite the contrary. You have a shepherd. You have a leader, a provider, protector. You have someone who can take you from where you are to where he wants you to be. And it's a beautiful place. It's a place of still waters and green pastures and rest and restoration. Do you recognize it? God's always been this good shepherd. I love these two words too, harassed and helpless. And I love that Jesus sees people that way because too often we don't. The King James version has fainted and scattered, but they're actually both euphemisms. They're play on words, both of them together. In the original language, the first one is um, to loosen or to let go. Um, if you love something, let it go. You know, have you ever heard anybody say something like that? That's silly. Don't let it go. You need to hang on to that stuff. Take care of everything. Keep it tight. You know, you're like, let's just let the children go and see if they come back. No, they won't. They won't come back. Uh, they'll, get, they'll get lost forever. You know, like, your indoor cat, just open the door. If the cat loves, no, the cat will run away and get run over by a car. Keep that cat in. This is, this is the idea. And so sheep will do the same thing. If you just leave the gate open, the sheep will just wander off and they'll keep wandering until they die. That is what sheep do. They will be scarfed and eaten or fall and break a leg and they'll die helpless. And so this is what kind of let out, let loose is this word. And it's translated oddly enough, uh, harassed, that has more to do with what happens to you when you leave the oversight and the care 
of the person who's supposed to be watching for you. And listen, every single human being that does not have life through being joined with Jesus by faith and the resident Holy Spirit in their heart is a person who is made by God for God and needs to be led by God, shepherded, protected, preserved, led, nourished, restored. And without him, they are harassed. And so I wonder if we would learn to see the world the way Jesus does, harassed and helpless that we would see people's terrible reactions, bad attitudes, stress and anxiety and sleeplessness and bad language and overworking as the fact that maybe they're trying to be their own shepherd. And maybe the most kind and compassionate thing we could do is to introduce them to the shepherd of all of our souls. The fields are ripe, the laborers are few. Pray that the Lord of the harvest will send workers to bring good news to harassed people that other, that other one um, doesn't mean to be set loose. Uh, it means to be uh, cast down, like scattered, like uh, if you throw something down. Anybody ever play jumping jack? Remember jumping jacks with the ball? Did you ever play that? What do you call that? Jacks? Just jacks? Jacks? The little ball? I was terrible at that game. My sisters could always do this thing. They would bounce the ball and they'd scoop up like 27 jacks in one little, I would like bounce the ball and then throw them across the driveway. Like how do you, how many of you guys played that game growing up? Yeah, it was an old game when I was a kid, but uh but the idea is scattered. That wasn't a jab. Wow, you guys are really, goodness gracious. Let's look and see who's old based on the games they played. I also jumped rope. My parents were against television and video games, so we didn't have either of those. Um, so we played jacks and we jumped rope, and I'm very grateful for that too. Um, we read a lot of books too. So we, the idea of scattered, you, know, you take those jacks and you kind of throw them in a little cluster and this is, this is uh, what happens to sheep too, is they just kind of just go off in each of their own directions. Like we call them a flock of sheep because they, they move together like a flock of birds. But if you don't have a shepherd leading them that they're following, they'll end up just all scattering and going in different directions. And, uh, and we do the same thing in our life. Some of you are here and you're in the fold, but you don't have the shepherd. Maybe you've, you've come into this environment and you're, you're experiencing all the blessing of just being in the middle of everybody going in the right direction. You just keep getting on the right bus. Like, oh, we're here again. Oh, we're here again. Where are we going? I don't know. This is great. These people are kind, right? Just kind of going with the flow. But this is what, what eventually will happen is you, you end up just wandering off and you find yourself alone and helpless. And this is the way that Jesus sees the world. And this is why he was ready to give his life as a ransom so he could bring us back in so that we could be redeemed. So that's what it means to be a shepherd. And this is what God's been doing. I don't know if you noticed this or not in verse one, it says, the Lord is my shepherd. Did you see that? And did you notice that the Lord is all caps? Anybody see that? Whenever you see that in this Old Testament, that's an English clue that the word Lord is not Jehovah, which will be Lord without caps, but Yahweh, the covenant name of God. This is the name that God revealed to Moses in Exodus chapter three. Do you remember when God decided he was going to save his people out of slavery in Egypt? And so he appointed a deliverer, namely Moses. Some of you guys are familiar with the various works of art, movies and books and whatever that have been attributed to this particular story. And so Moses has this revelation of God in a burning bush. And he tells Moses, he's gonna send him to Pharaoh's house, Pharaoh who he knew because he was raised in Pharaoh's house. He had been, he had been a fugitive, an outlaw, a wanderer, a nomad because he had killed a man in defense of his people. And so he's got this dual identity. He's a Hebrew. He's raised in the Egyptian Pharaoh's house. And now he's got this crime. And so he leaves. Well, now God chooses him to be the one to go in and deliver his people. And so Moses objects. And I love this because I've done the same thing to God all the time. He's like, I want you to do this thing. And you're like, I think that's a bad idea. You made a poor choice. Um, he's like, Moses, I want you to go speak to Pharaoh. And Moses is like, abadee, 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 but I don't talk good. You know, like, I, I'm not the guy for the public speaking. I, I shouldn't show up and shouldn't, sh 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 shut up, Moses. You know, I've chosen you to do this. And then Moses, like many of us, starts to think about all the things that could go wrong. Any risk management people in the house this morning? When you think of all the terrible things that could go wrong, every family needs one. If you have more than one, I apologize. Um, those of us who live in la-la land who never think that anything will ever go bad, they're the it'll be fine people. You got any it'll be fine people in, in the house? You're like, the future as I see it is perfect with no hiccups. You're like, you are a moron, right? 
And so here, here's, here's how we're all trying to make our way. Well, Moses was, um, even when it's not fine, we still think it's going to be fine. I do not know what's wrong with us, but I'm just glad to be one of us. Uh, it's way less stressful than thinking about all the things that could go wrong and wasting energy on the things that mostly won't. Anyway, Moses is one of those people. And so he's imagining, he's coming to the Israelites. Now he's been gone now for 40 years. Some of them know who he is. Many of them don't. And, uh, and he's like, hey, I used to be um, in Pharaoh's house. And so I was your oppressor, but then I killed a guy and now I've been in the wilderness and I'm coming back. And you're like, that's your resume? Really? Like, that's what you're going with? Uh, murderer, runaway, oppressor, but you're one of us. And so you want us to trust you? <laughs> okay. Um, and he's imagining this interaction. And he goes, if they, if they ask me who sent you, what am I supposed to say? the voice from the bush on fire in the wilderness that didn't burn. They're like, what was this guy smoking in the wilderness? Um, and so he has this interaction with God in Exodus chapter three. You can read the whole thing later. Um, but in verse 14, God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, the Lord, there it is, all caps, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. This is the covenant name of God between the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, the name revealed to the deliverer of God's people, Moses, I am. And David knew this I am, the Lord of heaven and earth, to be the shepherd of his own soul and the rightful shepherd of Israel. Do you know what Moses was doing when God spoke to him out of the burning bush? If you back up to Exodus chapter 3, a little further, I think it's awesome. It says in verse one, now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. And he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. He was just looking after the sheep. And I think it's really cool that God decided to use Moses after he had had four decades of shepherding. Because God could have raised him up when he was living in Pharaoh's house. That would have been a lot faster. Let's just have a Hebrew civil war. Let's have a, a, a separation of powers. We'll get this thing done the bloody and old-fashioned way. No. God brought him out, made him shepherd for 40 years. Now he's going to spend the next 40 years shepherding people across the wilderness. And so all of those lessons came in handy. But this is the heart of God, and this is the heart of God for his people. And this is the Lord. He's one and the same and he's revealed himself all throughout the storyline of the Bible through the shepherd motif to be the Lord, your shepherd, and to have promised to come himself to you. And he did so in the person of his son, Jesus. Uh, Ezekiel chapter 34, if you're a note taker or if you wanna like be a more diligent student later on this whole topic of shepherding, read the entire chapter of Ezekiel 34. It's a scathing rebuke of the shepherds of Israel, of the leaders of Israel through the prophet Ezekiel from God. It says, the word of the Lord came to me, Ezekiel, son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds, thus says the Lord God, ah, when God starts a sentence with ah, that's a bad day for you. Ah, shepherds of Israel who have been feeding yourselves. Should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat, you clothe yourselves with the wool, you slaughter the fat ones, and you do not feed the sheep. The weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the injured you have not bound up, the strayed you have not brought back, you have lost, the lost you have not sought, and with force and harshness you have ruled them. So they were what? Scattered, helpless harassed because there was no shepherd and they became food for the wild beasts. My sheep were scattered. They wandered all over the mountains on every high hill. My sheep were scattered over the face of the earth and there was none to search or seek for them. You see God's problem when he looks at his people? He needs a shepherd who will seek and save the lost. He needs a shepherd who will give his own life for the good of the sheep. 
He needs a shepherd who does not get fat on the fold, but instead sacrifices for their good. Verse 10 says, thus the Lord God says, behold, I am against the shepherds and I will require my sheep at their hand and put a stop to their feeding the sheep. No longer shall the shepherds feed themselves. I will rescue my sheep from their mouths that they may not be food for them. He says, your shepherds are ravenous wolves. Jesus would say to watch out for wolves in sheep's clothing. Jesus had many woes to say, Matthew 23, to the shepherds of Israel, the Pharisees, the religious leaders, the scribes, and the high priest. Why? Because they were gorging themselves and becoming wealthy and fat at the expense of God's people, harassing them and leaving them helpless. And so Jesus had nothing but harsh things to say. But listen to what Ezekiel prophesies. This is the Lord God speaking, Yahweh, the capital L-O-R-D. And he's talking about how he is going to intervene because of the terrible leadership in the nation of Israel. Look at verse 11. Behold, I... I, myself, let me just say it three times. Me, 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 me. I, 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 myself will search for my, my sheep. I will seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among his sheep that have been scattered, so will I seek out my sheep and I will rescue them from all places where they have been scattered on, a, on the day of clouds and thick darkness. And I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from the countries and will bring them into their own land. And I will feed them on the mountains of Israel by the ravines and in the inhabited places of the country. I will feed them with good pasture and on the mountain heights of Israel shall be their grazing land. There they shall lie down in good grazing land on rich pasture they shall feed on the mountains of Israel. I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep and I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord God. I will seek the lost. I will bring back the strayed. I will bind up the injured and I will strengthen the weak and the fat and the strong. I will destroy. I will feed them in justice. 600 years later, Jesus of Nazareth would stand up to a harassed and helpless crowd and he would say in verse 11 of John 10, I am the good shepherd. Who do you think those hearers thought Jesus was talking about? See, I have all these people all the time that say these nonsensical things to me like Jesus never said he was God. That's because you have never read the whole Bible. Literally every word Jesus says is dripping with the fulfillment of every promise the Lord God, Yahweh, Adonai, Jehovah made in all of the Old Testament. He is the fulfillment, the forever son of David who would sit on his throne. He is the lion of the tribe of Judah and he is the good shepherd that would seek and save the sheep. The ones to whom his voice would call and those who belong to him would be his forever and no one would snatch them out of my hand. To the leaders of Israel, he said, the thief comes to steal and kill and destroy, but I have come that they would have life and have it abundantly. Do you know that God wants you to have abundant life today? Do you know that he wants you to know what it means to have him as your shepherd right now? He wants you to experience the peace and comfort and rest and joy and safety of knowing it's not all on you. He's got your back. Listen, you don't have to know. Sheep can't see very far. Do you know that? They're very nearsighted. They can be standing 10 to 20 feet away from the shepherd. And if he doesn't call them, they'll never know he's there. Sometimes we live our life like we're a scared sheep. Our shepherd's 10 feet away. <gasps> this happens to our kids too. We had them out. Last night, we had this little shopping thing at One Daytona, and it was fun. A lot of people came out. There was a little quartet of fake elves singing Christmas carols and dudes on stilts tying balloons, and the Grinch was there, and there was real reindeer, real reindeer, these tiny little reindeer. Have you seen these things? They're like four feet long, and they have big horns. I have not seen real reindeer in person, only in the movies. They're little tiny reindeer. I was like, oh, they really are small. They're in this little cage, and this lady in front of me was like, can we touch them? And there was like a really grumpy elf with them. He was like, no. <laughs> There's a whole crowd of people around. Everybody wanted to touch them. And uh, the lady asked, can we touch them? No. So I was like, uh, I suppose riding them's out of the question then. <laughs> like, 
like my feet wouldn't even touch in the ground. <laughs> so we're all out and around. The kids want to see everything and do everything. Uh, and they feel safe. But I was watching them. I was keeping a good eye on them because I'm a good dad. And, and Julian, he would be doing this thing where he'd run, 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 run. He doesn't care. I'd be like, bud, bud, stay over here. Bye, dad. And then he's fine. He does not care at all. He thinks he's completely safe. But I love it when he realizes that he doesn't know where I am. Because I'm watching him from a distance and he's just playing and ha ha ha. And then he just kind of like looks around to see where I'm at. You know that look? That look of terror? Some of us grown-ups have that same feeling of terror when we check the bank statement or see a phone call coming in on the call already. Oh no! Because we've lost sight of who our father is and who our shepherd is, and how near he is, and how well he can take care of us, and how he can give us everything that we need. He truly is the good shepherd. And I want to close just pointing your attention to a very short word in verse one. The Lord, the God of Israel, the creator of heaven and earth, covenant-making God to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the Lord, who said, I will seek and save that which is lost. The Lord, who has God with us, King Jesus, the good shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. Somebody say, my. My, my shepherd. He's your shepherd. This is the good news for you this morning. He is not just a good shepherd. He is not just our good shepherd. He is not the good shepherd for y'all. He is my shepherd. David knew this. He was the king, and he wants us to get this reality as well. The Lord is my shepherd. And if you get this, it will change your perspective on everything else. The Lord is my shepherd, semicolon, I shall not want. Think about that for a second. I shall want for nothing. We don't say I shall not want only when we read the 23rd Psalm. But have you ever said about a snot-nosed little rich kid, he wants for nothing? Spoiled little brat. Slight jealousy in your tone of voice. You see, when you know the Lord as my shepherd, I, want, I, I literally want for nothing. David would write in Psalm 16, the boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. How much of our mental brain power is is given to worrying about an unknown future and coming up with 19 plans to solve every possible outcome in the middle of things being fine. And even when they're not fine, even when we are walking through the valley of the shadow of death, we're right there. There is darkness and heaviness and death. The good news is with the Lord as my shepherd, you are with me. You are with me. So I'll want for nothing. I wonder if you could substitute that word want for maybe a few other W words. How about the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not wander. Maybe the Lord wants to speak to some people today who you have the Lord in your back pocket, but you keep picking up the staff and driving traffic and going to places that you want to go without any reference to what he is saying. And maybe he's calling you back to say, hey, I'm, I'm the shepherd. You're the sheep. I can see, you can't. I know, you don't. I have a good plan, you have no plan. And so let me, be the sh- let me be the shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not worry. I mean, what do you truly have to be worried about? In fact, what we know is that all people will die. Everything in between is a mix of uncertainty and joy and pain. And we're doing our best to navigate that. But we have an offer of a shepherd that wants to lead you through that to places that can be characterized as still waters and green pastures to give you rest and to restore your soul. I don't know what darkness we're driving through, but those are the rest stops I would like to take. Can I get an amen? Can we let the good shepherd drive? The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. I shall not wonder and I shall not worry. The one thing that I didn't mention that made sheep so valuable in Israel in particular is that it was the spotless 
one-year-old male lamb that became the centerpiece of all religious life because of sacrifice. And through all worship offerings, sheep were slaughtered and given, offered to the Lord, and then made use of for all of the other parts of the economy. But without the sheep, you can't have a relationship with God because you can't have atonement, because you can't have sacrifice, because you can't come near to God, because you can't be forgiven. And so without these precious sheep, we get further and further and further and further away from the good shepherd. But you know that our good shepherd did not only come to lead us, but to die in our place. He came not only to be the shepherd, but to be the lamb. The scriptures conclude in Revelation 7, 13 to 18 with a vision of the elders. One of the elders addressed me saying, who are these people clothed in white robes and from where have they come? And I said to him, sir, you know, I don't know. And he said to me, these are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They're making it through life, through death's door. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the lamb. They've been welcomed home by God through the atoning sacrifice of Jesus. Therefore, they are all before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat, for the lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd, and he will guide them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eye. God, I just thank you for your word to us this morning that you are a shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. God, as we, as we respond, God, I just pray that you would help some of us to be humbled in your presence, to recognize where we want to lead, where we want to wander off, where we want to operate without you, where we think that we don't need you, that you're always our fallback plan and never our first go-to. God, I pray that there would be a humility to come to you to say, Would you lead me? Would you protect me? Would you provide for me? Would you preserve me and heal my wounds? I need you. And God, I pray for those who are compelled to worry about the future. God, I pray that they would begin to encounter your nearness and presence and the comfort of knowing you are near. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. I shall not worry. The future for me is beautiful because I have a God who will lead me to where he wants to bring me. God, I pray especially for those who are here this morning that do not know you and have not experienced the joy and the peace and the rest of coming into your fold. And I pray this morning, God, that they would hear your voice welcoming them to say, I made you, I know you, I want you, I am a savior to you, I am a leader for you, I am a provider for you, and I'm calling you to come into my fold, to come back to me and to follow me. And God, I thank you that you give this gift of faith and it's ours to receive. And so I pray, God, that with open-handed hearts, every single one of us would receive your gift and offer of life in your name, that we would follow after you and begin afresh the journey of knowing you as my shepherd. In Jesus' name, all God's people said, amen. Amen. Let's stand and respond.